nine, eight, seven, six, five. Okay, yeah, that'll work. Okay, and cool. And we're live. <laughs> we're live, yeah. John, it's been forever, man. How you been? Roller coastery. Roller coastery. Yeah. No I, I think I think what happens is you what happens is life gets you down and then you take it as a reflection of who you are and then it kind of creates this cycle you know for sure yeah you had some highs and some lows recently or um <laughs> mostly lows it's been kind of kind of where it's like um your your ocd says oh you're you're a bad person you want to harm people aggressively and you're like no that's not me you know but it just keeps keeps going at you you know mm, that is tough what are you doing as far as artwork oh let's see um um i'm i'm trying to figure out how to to make the dip the shoe scene as tasteful as possible for my short okay you know, the so it's the like shoe scene. the dip the shoe, like from Roger Rabbit. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. So I'm like, this thing won't get a G rating, but how close can we get to that G border without going to softball, you know? Mm -hmm. well, and so it's too, because uh, when they did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that was a, that's a PG movie. <laughs> but that was before they had PG thirteen, isn't it? Oh, like, no, it? Um, it's that's it's weird because in the late eighties they didn't know how to apply the PG thirteen as liberally as they do now. But the PG thirteen rating dates back to nineteen eighty four. I think Red Dawn was the first one to get certified, and then there were a few others afterward. Wasn't Spielberg? pretty much involved in trying to oh yeah he did it's like it's it's kind of ironic because in a way oh close um in a way it's kind of a rule for the the and not for me because they let temple of doom slide with the pg rating should have never let that slide with a pg rating no and so Spielberg is like, let's let's have a PG thirteen, and so they did that after Temple of Doom, and yeah, it's it's been this weird thing where it's like you can show almost anything as as long as you don't have blood, you know, mm -hmm. you know. So it's this weird kind of it's almost like it's like searching for the limit, and it the the same time i feel like before the pg-13 thing things were more violent but they were also more human they were they, they felt more human i think to their approach to violence where it's like oh okay this is a bad guy getting shot down and not a face faceless army you know now it's like it, it seems like every other scene has a scene where the bad guys mow out innocent people to prove they're bad. And it was like, why not just have like a headline that says people murdered and not show, you know, 
Well, nuance isn't allowed anymore, right? Oh, but that's, oh man, ah, I better take the microphone away. Is it crackling? No. Okay, make I mean, sure just, it doesn't peek just there. Just holding it, but. <laughs> um, but that's that's weird because the film industry kind of goes back and forth between nuance and in your face depending on the genre you know it's like if you're in in a 1950s cold war movie it's not going to be like russians are really nice guys you know you know so it kind of goes around it really depends on the genre and how important the film industry thinks the audience actually is, you know? And that seems to be the, uh, the thing that's going up and down and roller coastering too, actually, is how intelligent is the audience? Well, and <laughs> I think Hollywood just can never make up their mind on that. They're like, oh, they're super complex and intelligent and they want nuance and subtlety and art. And then before you know it, they're they're not leaving anything to the imagination anymore. I mean, when you think about it though, art, art, artistic filmmaker probably, filmmaking probably dies at the $70 million range. Because when you get that much more into it, studios want to make a film they know will be safe. And then they don't let the filmmakers do what they want to do. Oh, wow. Blocking it adjusted it. Wow. That's weird. Weird <laughs> physics. Um, uh, so, so it's, it's a weird paradigm because I think the thing is the mid budget genre is kind of migrating towards the streaming services and the big budget genre is just getting more kind of brainless to be honest, you know? Mm hmm. Well, I see they're relying more heavily on franchises. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the, you can, what's nice about that is I think you can sneak some art in along the way, but it's still be, you know, each film is still 90% popcorn. You know, it's, it <laughs> have to be 100% art the whole time. You're not, you're not limited to one film is what I'm saying. So really oh, no, absolutely make an artistic not. piece, which is nice. I feel like we got that with uh, an artistic look at um, a recovering addict or what's another way to put it? Uh, somebody who was shirking responsibility and then adopted it. I think we saw that with Tony Stark across 22 films. Oh, here's, here's the thing is regardless of what you think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, Tony Stark's character development is one of the best instances in the entire medium. Um, because you see him start from not caring about anybody to, you know, spoiler, you know? <laughs> so it's like in between all these movies, you, you see him go closer and closer to that destination, but it's subtle and and it's like, okay, just do that with all your characters. Then you'll, you'll need 40 movies. <laughs> well, I, if they keep building that way, maybe that's what we'll start seeing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, television to me is more interesting right now because you get the character development that characters deserve. Oh, yeah. I think that was why uh, it was a brilliant move to bring Joss Whedon on for the Avengers movies. I, here's my thing about Whedon is... 
I like him as an artist, but I hear he's a terrible person. And I'm like, no, no, can't you be a good artist and a good person? Make it easy. <laughs> I've never heard any cast speak ill of him. So, oh, really? Not yet. I, not yet. You, oh, well, are, are you about to break that for me, though? I mean, I just, here's the here's the weird thing about the 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 Snyder situation. It's it's. I think he should have never had that three movie deal to begin with, but. Warner Brothers did him wrong. I think we can agree on that. To, okay. to say, it's like, oh, you're having this situation. We'll just replace you instead of just letting him abandon it on his own terms or, you know. And, and so I think from an archival standpoint, I'm supporting this Snyder Cut, but I probably won't be in a huge rush to rent it, you know. I missed a segue here. We went from Whedon to Snyder. Uh, oh, because they connect. Because Joss Whedon basically was doing half of the Justice League movie, and from what I hear, the the parts don't fit together well because they're different tones. And you I know, I didn't realize Whedon uh, was but, involved in Justice League. What? Whedon was involved in Justice League. Oh yeah, he he was. I was not aware of this. You can tell because Superman's smiling. Ooh, that was a jab. Sorry. <laughs> one, you get one. Um, it is, and the thing is, um, I think Whedon was pushed in by Warner Brothers because they did want that Avengers magic going on the DC universe. But I still think that um a director who starts a project should be able to see that project into its most reasonable cut out there and so you know i'll i'll support hbo max but that doesn't mean i'll see the the four-hour justice league it's like you know mm -hmm. it's it's not like i'm mind the idea of a four-hour superhero movie but it should have been watchmen watchmen screamed make a four-hour movie and and the thing is the the ultimate cuts three and a half hours but it's like it's not what what it isn't is it isn't framed in the way that the comic is framed and oh i could get the comic but it's, it'd be take up too much time and you wouldn't see it either way but i think watchman is a case where there was no way you could make a masterpiece from that source material because it's just too big. And, and I think that Snyder got it both ways from the, the purists who wanted it to feel like the book, which was, is very drama-like and understated and subtle. And the, the general audience who wanted it, you know, a family-friendly superhero movie, which is, not the Watchmen story. So, you know, I think I think it's an underrated movie, but I also think it's a movie that should have been a miniseries. Completely agree on that. I wouldn't even say a miniseries. I'm thinking two seasons. Oh. Two 14 episode seasons. Oh man, but then they could they could go all they could 
carve out each <laughs> character arc to the yeah it, it would be it would be an amazing series which is probably why it won't happen you know it's like oh, because frankly it's the technology level of dr manhattan you know you would need to have computer special effects to bring that character to life and without that without that you could probably make it for around 60 million you know <laughs> but we're seeing that i mean we're seeing the investment in television series especially for comic series uh it's kind of a bad example right now because they've been on the shelf since disney plus decided to launch and take the marvel rights from netflix for the daredevil series and the punisher series and luke cage uh jessica jones whether you like each of those or all of those characters or not, you have to admit that at least Daredevil is phenomenal. What? No? Daredevil. The, the here's my thing series? about Daredevil. The Netflix series. The Netflix series. Here's my thing about Daredevil is I think it's about as good as a superhero base property could be, get bar none. It's like, which is sad because I'm like, I really like comics, but I think what they've done with the story is essentially taking the drama of comics and combined it with, with kind of a really realistic flavor that you, you couldn't get in a comic book, even if you wanted that. And I'm not saying to this comic illustrators. No, there's a certain there's a certain feel to the medium of comic oh, yeah. books that's it's inherent. You can't get away from it. Same same thing as if you do a black and white film instead of a color film. It's gonna have a certain instant feel to it. I see what you're saying there. Um, Punisher yeah. I'm not a John Bernthal Punisher fan. All snap. Uh, it's it's hard to do one better than Thomas Jane, I think. Oh, Thomas Jane. Yeah, Thomas Jane. I thought he was great. Um, I especially liked the uh, the fan made Dirty Laundry Punisher. I don't know if you saw that short. No. Nah. They they even got Ron Perlman in on that one. It was great. Oh wow! So Thomas <laughs> Jane and Ron Perlman in a little short, basically while. Uh, Frank Castle is kind of laying low and just not really doing much. Kind of like he was there for a while when nothing was working as far as Punisher. Like we got Warzone and it was awful. Apparently, because I, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, here's the this could be its own rant. When you complain about things you haven't seen, you're kind of asking for fans to like it to have legitimate reason to criticize it it's like oh i i haven't seen daredevil affleck like it's i know it's not going to be good because that era wasn't they didn't know how to do superhero movies like it, you know everyone wants to be x-men and x-men doesn't even want to be x-men <laughs> you know and so i know it's going to be awful um but I can't, I can't say it's awful because I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know. I do recommend the director's cut of. Oh, I heard that ben was Affleck better. Yeah. Daredevil. It's 
yeah, there are moments that were rearranged in mm. one sequence. Um, and there's actually a really critical character moment that is completely different in the director cut. Oh, that's like, good. It's like they shot it two different ways. And nah. the production, they went for the cinema version, they went one way. And for the director's cut, he was like, no, no, I really wanted this. And I guess the production house beat him. Who knows? Um, There's a few movies like that. Uh, Dodgeball is a, a big one. Like, if you want to really be uh, surprised at how much a director can hate the production company that put him in business, <laughs> listen to the commentary for Dodgeball because that guy was, they took the wind out of his sails. You could just hear it in the whole commentary. The ending of Dodge, for those who don't know, the ending of Dodgeball is supposed to be entirely different than the ending you get. Well, I hear it's kind of like that with Dr. Strangelove. Like they had a different version and Kubrick's like, no, I'm Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's nice to be able to say I'm Kubrick. Yeah. You know, it's weird because I feel like Kubrick's like the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to criticize Kubrick. And I'm like, Hey, I exist. You know, yeah. 2001 was too long. You don't have to have people jumping around in slow motion all the time before it gets old. You know, I think that in defense of it, it's, it's a grand spectacle. It has a lot of hidden themes and whatever. Um, it shows kind of the, the, the parallels between the, the story of evolution and space, you know, it's got that social commentary, but it could be a half hour shorter and still be as good a movie. Oh. That makes sense. Oh man. I mean, so I'll pick on Kubrick, but that's, it's not for any of his work. It's for the, the lack of involving the crew and the cast and the creative process. What? I feel like, and we talked about this a little bit last time with the Archer theory. Um, when you say that I am the end-all, be-all, the creative vision for this entire uh, film or story, right? Which is something that Ron Howard preaches against, by the way. Oh, nice. I've got to listen to his masterclass. Fantastic stuff. Great insights. Um, yeah. When you isolate it to just your vision... You can't see everything that would be worth having in yours in the story. In your, it, you just, it's not possible to see it all. You need oh. that trusted outside influence to really make a movie better than you could make it on your own. Hey, um, I'm going to spoil Vertigo. Have you seen Vertigo? I have seen Vertigo. Okay. You know the letters. Anxiety. Oh. Ah, yeah, that was a good one. Um, the letter scene, Hitchcock saw, shot it, but he did not, he didn't want it in the final cut, but the studios forced him to put it in the movie. And I think what happens is a better movie in, in an odd way, because it, it, you care more about the journeys that, um, that, Let's see, Madeline's her fake character. I forget her, you know, but the Kim Novak character 
and James Stewart, you care about their journeys more because you're privy to information that the other character doesn't have. And Yeah, completely agree on that too. I'm glad you mentioned or brought up Hitchcock because that's a, he's dear to my heart. I love Hitchcock. Um, went back uh, just recently and I've been watching Alfred Hitchcock Presents with Heather because she hasn't oh, wow. seen all of those. And she's starting to see why I can predict movie endings so uh. often. It's because Hitchcock's already done it. Uh. Whatever it is, if it's, a, if it's a twist, Hitchcock's, he's done it. It's already happened. You just go back and watch that. Between that and the Twilight Zone, like if you watch the originals all the way through, there's no plot line that's going to surprise you after that. Oh, that's right. In my opinion. Well, uh, that's my... I love his use of... That's, that's kind of my... Go ahead. Well, I can't hear you. I was going to say uh, that's... I like his use of subtlety. I like that he can show what happens to a character in shadow in the background rather than having you see everything, right? Yeah, I think that's good, but I also think that's a byproduct of the hate, the production code. Um, you know about the production code? I do not. Oh, I mean, okay. If let's, I did, I'd still want you to tell free me film school, You know, yeah, okay. uh, the production code was a restriction um, re uh, a catch-all restrictive code that basically forced filmmakers to not show everything. And so part of being Hitchcock is he's trying to show everything he can. And they're like, no, you can't show everything. And so it, it, it makes for really weird movie watching. Like when you watch an epic that's objectively violent, like Spartacus, you're like, wait, you, you, you couldn't show this, this character dying in a B movie, but you can show a guy getting, you know, cut with a, a sword. You know, it's, it's kind of a, an example of bias, but, um, but the, the production code lasted until the late sixties and um, got replaced by the movie ratings. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. That makes more sense now. So one of the things I like about different codes and different uh, rating systems between countries. Oh, yeah. Headbutts, of all things. Mm. You can't show a headbutt in, in Europe. Oh, no. Like that instant, that's an instant no-go. And here it's like just another martial arts move. Some of the stuff just doesn't make any sense at all. I, I never understand it. But it's fun when you see a European filmmaker come and do an American movie in the U.S. because then he goes by the U.S. stuff. So he'll just put headbutts everywhere for no reason. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just always funny to me uh, seeing those, those culture differences and what people will do once they're unleashed. It's tons of fun. So what are you working on right now? What do you got going on? Um, I know you've been dabbling in some other me mediums too. Oh, Stop motion is always like your heart i i get that oh but, yeah but well you're, you're playing with 2d you're playing with some other stuff too oh right? yeah i'm wor working with all the computer what happened ironically is i updated my mac 
and the operating system is no longer compatible with the animation software. But fortunately, I had partitioned the drive earlier, so I just w swapped it out to a different partition. But like, <laughs> it's it's kind of annoying. It's like brave new world, you know. <laughs> um, but honestly, it's weird, but the more I've been trying to do CGI, the more I respect I have for CGI animators and modelers and, and shaders. There's people who go over the text and um, it's not something just anyone can do, but at the same time, I think, I think it's better for a team to do it than for you to try to do it yourself unless you're a master, <laughs> you know, uh, because what happens is you're, when you watch a movie in a theater, that movie is going to be close to 300 million to make the film and hundreds of people working on the special effect. Um, so unless you're making something that's purely CGI, what you see will be instantly subconsciously compared to that $300 million movie. You know, so, so I, I say instead of trying to replicate the, the, the wheel of the Hollywood machine, um, you know, try, try buying some props and, you know, doing some in-camera effects because the thing is, even if it doesn't reach that standard, you're at least showing something the audience hasn't seen possibly ever. That's true. Does that feel like something that you really aim for whenever you're doing a story and putting it to film is, is that you're trying to show them something through effects that they've just never seen before? Or is it, yeah, I'll just go with that question. <laughs> is, it, I mean, is it usually something you, they've, you want to make sure they've never seen before? That's complicated, but I think you should ask a similar question and I'll find the answer, like something a little okay. different. Well, let me ask you this. Um, do you find old tricks that you like to bring to a new audience because you think they haven't seen them before? Or do you like to create something entirely new that maybe people in film haven't really seen before? Oh yeah, the latter, the latter. Because the thing is um, with skeletons, right? You know, skeletons have been aggressive. They've been fast. They've been, um, They've been exciting. They've been swashbuckly, but they haven't been scary, you know, because that, that wasn't the aim of those kinds of movies. You watch Sinbad to see Sinbad fight the skeleton. You watch Jason fight the skeletons because that's exciting. And it's, it's a different feel than pure horror. So I, I, to me, it's taking what's old and putting it in a different context. Um, so Vincent Price films were really good for skeleton use, I thought. Oh, man. Always subtle, but it was always a practical effect, right? It was never stop motion. Never oh, is it is this like where the hu string hovering? You, there was some string hovering situations. There's some uh, where a, a skeleton floats up in, let's say, an acid bath, something like that. There's a few different just, again, it, it was them working with the within the confines of what they could do in a lot of ways. But yeah, there's a scene where he actually animates a skeleton to trick somebody. 
Oh, that's cool. He's got a whole cable set up. Like he's wearing a rig with pulleys and stuff where he's trying to spin them to make the arms move and stuff. Great moment. But um, yeah, so yeah, Vincent Price stuff. Vincent uh, Price. I'll have to look. Skeleton work there. Let's see. Wait, are you not a Vincent Price buff? I'm kind of surprised. Vincent Price, the trouble is with the, he has such a wide career Yeah. that, you know, it's like, oh, okay, House of Blacks, you know, and you you know his later works, but a lot of the earlier stuff you you forget is there, you know? Yeah, House on Haunted Hill is probably my, still my favorite of his. Oh, man. Um, The Haunting, his version of The Haunting, I think it was him. Maybe not. I'm, I'm going to retract that one for now. But I will say House on Haunted Hill. Phenomenal work. Uh, his Pit and Pendulum is actually really good, too. Oh, awesome. That's Yeah. So you've got a few options. Like you said, he's got a, a wide breadth to his work. But uh, the, there are some standout favorites. Um, the Tingler, that was a pretty funny one. Because that was one where they rigged all the theater seats with a little electric charge. Oh, that. That's technically 4D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he did. He went 4D with it. Apparently, the the tingler was something that would latch to your spine and start controlling you. Oh wow, scary! And so it gets loose in the film and ends up in the audience. So he breaks fourth wall a bit. But he he gets really weird with it because, um, because he has a scene where a hand comes out from like a pool of blood. But the thing is, he shot the the blood in color, but people were wearing black and white makeup to make it look like the thing was Sin City back in its day. Yeah. So Price, you know, he acted in a lot. I don't know of any stuff that he actually produced. I am curious as to what, how much involvement he had in that creative element. Now I'm going on Wiki to save face. (laughs) See, this is one of the better reasons, or one of the reasons that uh, podcasts over Zoom is better, because then you can check your references right there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cooking. Yummy. Uh, I mean, I got I got a great recommendation for an upcoming cooking show, by the way. Oh, he, he worked with Roger Corman. That, that guy, I think, is, is he still alive? I'm going to check. I'd be surprised. Like, passed away yeah, he, no, no, Corman's still alive. Is he really? Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> I wonder what the king he's of working Pimu, on. He's like, I, wow, he's gonna, gonna outbeat Betty White if he. <laughs> <laughs> Is he working on anything? Do you see any uh, projects? Well, you know, people right attach their, their name to their stuff because you know it's it's um but let's see um he stopped directing in the 70s so i would say he probably has his name on as kind of an executive producer which is kind of a a nice credit to have because then you get the the pay and you don't have to get involved with making the thing possible unless your tv it kind of flips around you know it's well, like, I don't know. We, this is sad, but it's like I, I 
felt better about spending money on Batman v Superman when I know that <laughs> Nolan was getting back pay as an executive producer. He's he's probably wringing his eyes and crying into. <laughs> hey, you know what? No, I I don't think so because what what I've heard from him or you know you I haven't heard him speak about it. I've heard Bale talk about it more than him and I've heard Hans talk about some stuff more than yes. I've heard Nolan himself. He kind of stays out of the the limelight himself uh as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, uh they just didn't want to make another one. Like if he could get out of making more Batman movies, he was he was fine with that. Um I didn't realize too they they shot every movie like it was going to be the only one or their last one. So Batman Begins no sequel is anticipated. Oh yeah, that's what I read. Yeah. Um, so, and I think what that means is it it's, means it's standalone, but it also means it's seven years for the whole trilogy. And you know, people want that Marvel money. That's the that's not, not blaming Marvel for the except that I am. I'm I am I'm blaming Marvel for getting their stuff together. But I'm also blaming the studios for trying to recreate the Marvel magic instead of doing their own thing. Yeah, we instantly knew that uh, Justice League was going to be terrible. Oh. Because they were doing it specifically because Avengers had come out. And oh, successful. yeah. And it's like, just do your own thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's weird because I think the thing is... I, I think Justice League could be a good movie if they made it all Lord of the Ringsy with each character having this sense of deep myth. But I think I think the the best we get is three hundred with superheroes. And I, I think that'll be watchable and I'm hoping it gets to that level, but I'm I'm skeptical. Yeah, I don't blame you. Why do you think Marvel sees success and DC doesn't? Oh, well, because um, this is where I get nerdy. Because um, Marvel's producer-driven, and you have Kevin Foggy um, basically controlling everything, more or less. And DC is director-driven, which is hit and miss, depending on... Um, who the directors are and then you have i think the scrambling to get things done so that they can be the next marvel which isn't gonna happen you think the dark edge element of dc comics you know it's inherent in their work they're usually a slightly dark yeah. edgier comic do you think that is playing a factor in it the success i actually think it's complicated because i think there are good dark Superman stories and bad lighthearted Superman stories. But the thing is, the thing is you have to figure out who the characters are before you take that approach. And I think the trouble is with, with DC comics, the movie is, is the movie version is like Marvel, but dark, you know, it's like right. dark Marvel. And it's like, no, I, I want to see something that feels unlike anything I've seen, to be honest. So DC has great success in the animated me medium. Oh, well, it's because they have 
television writers. <laughs> you know, you got TV writers and comic book writers now and then. So, you know. Well, it's also animated. So I wonder sometimes, too, if the fact that it is a cartoon that inherently lightens the edge a bit, kind of lifts that edge off. Because they get away I don't with think the so. I actually line. disagree with you yeah. because Dark Knight Returns, you know, it's more or less the entire comic with all the violence in it. And so when you see Joker get a battering in his eyeball, you know, you don't say, oh, that's a cute cartoon. You say, man, that's violent. And, you know, um, so I think it's really more, has more to do with people interpreting the, the films as more kind of accessible than than the idea that the DC live action movies are more dark and serious. Interesting. So we got to talk Phantasm if we're going to talk about that. Oh, and... oh, man. oh okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, if, if we're going full Phantasm, I think we have to bring up The Dark Knight first. Definitely. Because if we don't, to me, it's kind of cowardly to bring up Phantasm as its own thing without re realizing what I think is its biggest competition. You know, it's Dark Knight say, is an incredible piece of cinema. You think Dark Knight is the closest comparison? Because I would go with Begins, so I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, structurally, it's more like Begins, but the Dark Knight is such a good movie that it's hard to imagine that many superhero movies being much better than that but phantasm is <laughs> whoa you think it's better i didn't realize that oh did did you did I we not see the listen to the last episode i think it's good is it better i actually think it's better it's got the best Batman. It's got the the most Kevin, Kevin enthralling Conway. kind of maniacal Joker. It's got the best, in my opinion, score. I actually put the score a little bit ahead of um, of Danny Elfman's work um, by the late Shirley Walker. I think her scoring edges out. Um, uh, Elfman's kind of gothic style, but it's it's really close, you know. It's um, and it's got the best atmosphere. It's got the best action. Oh, uh oh, <laughs> that seems like a rave. But like, you know, the, the 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 thing where I think Dark Knight has competition is in who the villain is. And but with with Mask of the Phantasm, the villain is more the villain within, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think that's deeper um, in its own way. Uh, yeah. I mean, you hit some really good points there. It's, I don't know which one I would think is better. I, I'm just more surprised that you would say Phantasm was better because I know we're both Nolan fans, I think. More or less. Yeah. I, mean, I, we, I don't like the prestige. That's its own. Because Prestige is an example of good plotting kind of going ahead of 
good character development. It's like, I don't care about the characters, so I don't care about the trick, you know? And so it's, um, but. Yeah, I, it was really hard to wrap my mind around what was motivating Hugh Jackman's character in The Prestige. Bales, I got. That yeah, Bales, yeah. He was the artist trying to create art as passionately as possible. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's pure. He was trying to create pure illusion. Oh, yeah, definitely. I didn't, didn't feel connected to Hugh Jackman's character's motivation. Yeah, well, Hugh Jackman lost his wife, so that's a pretty severe motivation starting out. But then he kind of began like, oh, I'd rather see how he works. And it's like, no, that's kind of, that, that'd be like having Hamlet all right, Hamlet, and he's like, no, I'd rather not kill uh, my uncle. I, I'd rather just hope it all goes away. I w I'm just going to have a nice vacation. That, it'd be kind of like, I guess that's where it, where it is to me. It's like derailing Hail Knight, you know? Mm. The, the motivation should be so simple that you see how the characters kind of evolve from it instead of just kind of saying, oh, this is, it's the trick movie now. We're, we're watching the trick. We're, we want to see the trick. And it's like. I was, um, I was watching uh, Penn Gillette. He was asked by some magazine, I forget who it was, to review movie magic tricks and he's like yeah that was you know he would say yeah that was pretty good that was that really only works in film or you know he'd break down the tricks for you a bit and he does the 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 two doors trick he reviews the two doors trick from the prestige uh. he's like never ever would an audience buy that <laughs> that's funny it's like man that for me that was a fairly clever trick but he's like the moment you have to have a double it's it's done you're out you can't do it oh that's funny yeah yep. talking but, about it being a tricks movie it was funny because the the one of the party piece tricks just doesn't work oh that's funny well you know i think um, Nolan is a complicated beast because I think he's very smart and he's very technically proficient at crafting a good script, having good actors, but I think he's kind of, it's like, it's like he's kind of thrown red herrings by theme, which is harsh, harsh to say, but it's like if he has a good theme, he kind of forgets about the other things that go together well, and I that's i know you're not a fan of the um the magic rope in the dark night oh the tangle yeah i think the thing is that's more of a, a convenience you know that to me where I, where i think i disagree with nolan from a storytelling level is the idea that theme can trump character arcs and I think, interesting. Yeah, I actually think he he's so smart that he 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 kind of caves to the idea of oh, if this idea is perfect, right? Then this character 
arc will be fine enough. And it, and I think that that's not how good drama works. Mm-hmm. But but his movies are excellent to watch for their labyrinthine qualities. I think they're just. I love the lighting of a Nolan movie. I just, oh yeah, Feister. It's killer. It's so crisp, and then like everything that's important is always crisp. It, it's so good. Yeah. Um, just finished watching. I finally sat down. I let me back up. There are certain movies when I see a preview for them, I go, "That's going to be a killer movie." I gotta, I gotta wait till I'm in the right headspace to give it the audience it deserves when I watch it. And Interstellar was one of those, so I finally watched it, and holy cow, that was amazing. That one I was think is one of his better emotional pieces. I was going to ask you about that because I think character driven entirely. The theme kind of facilitated the character. Yeah, I don't know. To me, it. I think it's the anti two thousand one. If two thousand one is, we're going to show. <laughs> we're gonna show people jump around in space for 10 minutes this is kind of more like okay this is what does love symbolize in quantum f- physics it's like the, the opposite trajectory of 2001 and and to me it's like i like the movie it tries to be more than the movie it actually is but i don't think it's a bad movie i think it's okay what's your least favorite nolan movie and why oh prestige (laughs) yeah okay so definitely the prestige then yeah which is weird because people love it people love it and it makes me feel lonely well the illusionist i think was a better film Oh man, I I watched half of it and then got bored and didn't finish it. But yeah, that's yeah. It's not saying much to say that the Illusionist was better than the Prestige. Now, now what I have to do is watch the Illusionist and then the French animated Illusionist just to to say I've watched all the magic movies. There you go. There you go. <laughs> watch, watch. Um, now you see me. Or... So, what made Nolan's work on Batman? what it was to you because uh, it's it's clearly not tim burton it's clearly not um uh gosh i'm blanking on his name now schumacher schumacher it's not joel schumacher um it was a to me it felt like it was pulling from the animated themes more. yeah tried. um so why does that trilogy work for nolan the the reason that well first of all he got to direct a trilogy like he, the thing is no one's gonna ever see how tim burton's batman 3 was though you could technically say batman and robin is burton's batman 3 which gets weird you know batman forever isn't yeah yeah because it's 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 produced by burton but it's it's totally warner brothers hot toys commercial you know yeah well you said I Batman think, and Robin so I didn't know if you meant Batman and Robin or you meant forever because forever like I, I should give Robin Robins. a chance give Batman Clooney a chance <laughs> Bat Clooney I like Bat Clooney I thought Bat he was Clooney, yeah. that's he why was, 
Superman works alone. Uh, shared universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think the reason Nolan's films work is they feel like they're a part of this world mm-hmm. instead okay. of a part of a world which superheroes actually exist. But yeah, I think it doesn't about, work. What? You don't hear about Metropolis at all in Nolan's stuff, do we? Um, I don't think so. I think, I think that's something that if you had a reference to a Batman universe, it would be his Batman universe, not anyone outside of that. But, you know, I, I think a shared universe could work, but I also think the reason the shared universe hasn't worked on screen is because they overthink it, you know? Just remake Toy Story and have um, have Batman be Woody and Superman be Buzz. Like, Superman needs to be taken down a peg to uncover his humanity because he's kind of gotten used to being invincible. Batman needs to like Superman. Toy Story, the remake with Batman and Superman, and it'll still be better than ninety percent of shared universe DC movies. So I watched Superman. Superman the movie. Yeah, well, with Henry Cavill. Uh, here's the thing. I think he hit it all of the park, but I didn't think the movie did. Mm, agreed. And poor James Marsden, if he can't find a movie where he gets to keep the girl yeah yeah give james arson the girl right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm just yeah. kind of tired of watching that character for him you know the notebook x-men <laughs> superman i was just I, is there a universe where he gets uh in- i think he does in like one of those katherine heigl movies like oh <laughs> uh, uh, poor guy yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you hear how her career came to a screeching halt? Uh, no idea. Apparently, she just really badmouthed the industry at the wrong time. And, oh, uh, that's they, a shame because sometimes the industry needs badmouthing. Yeah. It, <laughs> from what I remember, what she said was so wrong. <laughs> at the time it was like she was so off base it's kind of like when megan fox decided to uh badmouth michael bay he didn't he didn't even address why she left or anything in the story for transformers 3 it's like yeah she's gone <laughs> it's just amazing how they can shut you down like that but i mean in a way it's weird because the thing is it kind of goes back to circles where you have, um, you know, I, I believe that there are people who have had their careers sabotaged for, for, you know, nefarious purposes, purposes. But I also think there's, there comes a point where you haven't gotten immunity, you know, and you're kind of at the, thrashing hold you know it's like okay we're gonna let um jai courtney go he's not gonna become a like 
like he might become a star, but like, you know, it's like, I think there's that transition on point where you're just kind of there. <laughs> and I think that in a way, the industry kind of forces you to either go go down and go work with smaller people or to ride the coattails of someone really big but it's it's kind of like it's it's complicated because i think good actors tend to get typecast and good <laughs> you know good good directors can also get typecast it's like oh we need an old period film oh let's get spielberg you know and it's like and the thing is you you there's not anything wrong with that but at the same time it's it's kind of a play safe approach to filmmaking you know yeah for sure um i realized i, I conflated the two superman movies by the way i mentioned marsden he's actually in brian singer's Oh, Brian Singer. Oh, like, sorry, Brian Singer deserves his own soapbox because if he did one-tenth of what people say he did, he should be in prison. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Which, oh, man. What things? Like, they're like, it's, it gets really creepy because there really? are reports of him, like, grooming, like, young men and boys and, like, pool parties it's like nasty stuff and and the thing is they would always get deleted like after they were posted up like you know so so the thing is he's had so many allegations that i believe he's a worse person than kevin spacey and kevin spacey's not a uh a, a swan you know no uh ratner didn't survive that though that's weird how Singer could survive that because I guess it's because nobody really is like, yeah, Ratner, <laughs> user rule. I mean, Ratner apparently is just a general jerk to work with. And, well, and so when he got busted for doing other stuff, it was like, yeah, just anything. Yeah, throw, get throw. Him, just get him out of here. We don't want to work with him anymore. Uh, Singer, I think you yeah. <laughs> Singer might be somebody you like working with. I don't know. Um, um, I, did. I mean, we do know that kind of stuff happens in the industry. Um, I mean, Andre talked a little bit about that in his episode. And then also, I, I, and I just, I feel bad that I didn't find this out until a month ago or so that Brendan Fraser, the reason he disappeared was because he got groped by a male producer well, at, a, at a dinner gala type thing. And when he voiced it, he said, I don't ever, what he said was, I don't ever want to do anything with that guy ever again because of this. And what they responded with, they being the industry was, okay, well, you just never work again. And they just blackballed him from there on out. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And well, and also, well, well, oh man, this is sad. It's like, this sounds like it's this big trauma session, but like Terry Crews, like people, um, there was someone who was creepy to him. And so it's like, it must be this power thing where you have people who are male, who are creeps in a position of power and, and they 
if they're so bad, they don't care if it's a guy or a girl. They just want that feeling of you can't do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. And if you're a guy, a guy right now, you can't. I mean, mm. the Me Too movement did not include men. And Brent, that was one of the things that Brendan Fraser talked about was the Me Too movement helped encourage him to speak out and share his story. And when he did, nobody cared because he's a guy. I don't know that he feels that way, but when I look at it and go, the Me Too movement happened a year, a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And it took it this long for me to find out Brendan Fraser's story. I had already heard about Ashley Judd and all the others that were speaking up, but well, I think this guy tried to get his voice out there and nobody wanted to listen to it. It's like, uh, I, I think there will always be that double standard as long as men are thought of as being powerful, mm, you know, yeah. it's like, you're a man, you can take anything. And it's like, no, we're in no offense, but we're, we're weak people <laughs> in, and and strong gish <laughs> um but you know the soul is always weak you know yeah anytime we can find a reason to dehumanize somebody mm. you know if it's men can take it because they're in places of power it's like yeah okay uh, check. that's for me that's something that i try to check in myself when i detect it is like if i'm coming up with any reason to dehumanize someone or excuse my maliciousness toward them right mm. uh there's something probably not right there oh yeah definitely yeah it's, it's crazy how the industry works how did we get on this it was um we we, we backpedaled why mask of the phantasm is better than the dark knight or as good or slightly worse <laughs> yeah let's bring it back to batman because okay back back uh, to batman so you've got great points you've got kevin conroy as the voice of Batman, which, by the way, his his natural voice is Bruce Wayne. Like, oh yeah, definitely. Which was awesome yeah. to find out. I thought maybe he was still putting that on. Um, you've got Mark Hamill as. The oh player. yeah. Uh, I don't know that there's a better Joker. For me, like that I mean... cross of mobster and maniacal, and mm. easy funny. It's the cheesy funny that I think is just the the cherry on top for that. But the thing is, it's the it's it's like it, he's creepy without seeming like he's trying to be creepy. Yeah, he's goofy. He's goofy, 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 sinister. Yeah, just a moment. So good. Uh, and but that's that's, that's also the 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 Korean studios that animated the Joker. He gets some fantastic animation in that movie. Sure. Uh, um, I watched the Killing Joke just recently um talk about fantastic animation that that very edgy very if the show were to come back if the animated series were to come back i'd want that level of animation for it because it was just oh, nice. crisp um i don't know how i feel about the whole the movie the film as a whole but we anyway back to phantasm because fan until uh, the Killing Joke. Phantasm was the only time we had a, a proper feature-length film that had Conroy and Hamill, and you've got Dana. Oh well, you had the Batman and Superman crossover. That was a two-part episode. Yeah, but it didn't go theaters, right? Oh and no! Didn't the Killing Joke make it into? It was like a limited, yeah. limited screening, like two days, you know. 
I, I just wish Phantasm had the the animation talent and artwork that the Killing Joke has. Oh, but that's that's kind of a, a different era because in a way you can research studios better than you know, you know, you can see people's work back then the internet was barely a thing if it was <laughs> if it existed what was it 93 three is what i was thinking yeah yeah i, so, I bet <laughs> yeah my internet was me connecting through a, a program called genie uh to the library oh wow library inventory that was it i mean what what happens is is you back in the, the the internet days is you would actually go outside if you had a piece of media and play outside because the thing wouldn't load <laughs> yeah. you know it's like oh yeah it was crazy uh i remember when and this is many years later when um the trailer for star wars episode one came out Oh man, I remember the all-nighters everyone else took. I'm like, it's not worth it. <laughs> well, the trailer was two and a half minutes long. That's and long. With, with my 58K modem, mm. it took two and a half hours to download. <laughs> to watch one two and a half minute trailer. It was only about two and a half megs inside. <laughs> <laughs> and then if somebody called or somebody picked up the phone while it was downloading. Oh, it was toast. It was gone. Now I had to start over. The good old but, days. But yeah, but yeah, I, I, yeah, what I don't want to do is, is glom onto Phantasm what the Dark Knight already has. So to me, what I don't want to do is be like, oh, the Dark Knight is a mediocre blockbuster of our day. Like, no, it's an excellent film. But where I think Phantasm reaches over heights is the shade of gray character, the the fall of spoiler alert. It's 1993. Um, <laughs> the fall of a certain character yeah. is more dramatic than the fall of Harvey Dent. You know, it's like yeah. Or um, so I will jump in movies again. I will definitely say Phantasm is better than dark knight rises there's just oh no, uh, no that's an easy that's an easy one <laughs> that, that kind of does parallel the storyline though with what you're talking about with the character surprise uh and that fall right because uh oh what's her name Roz al Ghul's daughter oh wow that's the whole spoiler. plot spoiler, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, spoiler again. the animated series you knew that all along so it's like yeah yeah, anyway. Uh, but the, yeah, the character that we were talking about falling from grace in a moment is like, okay, that's, they kind of use that for Dark Knight Rises, but executed it nowhere near at the level that you're talking about in Phantasm. Yeah, like the thing is when you first see the character um, in the flashbacks, you're it's a different character than when you see the character becoming. And the thing is, with Harvey Dent, he's kind of like, oh, I'm Gotham's white nice. I'm, you know, he's good, but he's also serious. And so when he falls, it's not as dramatic. 
yeah and to watch someone who's this kind of light-hearted person that bruce wayne spoiler alert can fall in love with legitimately um and watch her kind of fade from grace i just think it's better drama and it, it no doubt about it no doubt about it if they if we're going to compare the fall of dent versus the fall of the other character in phantasm there's no question it's phantasms yeah that's why that's what i think is the tiebreaker but yeah yeah. (laughs) um uh so we've covered we got conroy we've got hamill dana delaney as andrea beaumont um i think it's weird since you voiced lois later so it kind of makes it weird to watch superman the animated series right after but wait i missed that what she later voiced lois but that was later on i totally missed that yeah so it's like you close your eyes um and you can hear lois's voice and and Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of weird if if you were to jump on into superman the animated series which i think is underrated it's an underrated piece of television because the characters aren't quite as well pronounced as batman but it's well animated and it's 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 a good dessert. Like if Batman the animated series is your dinner, Superman the animated series is a good dessert to have yeah. after you've eaten from Batman's agree. table. Like the reason I knew about Lana Lane, or not Lana Lane, but her name was Lana. I don't remember her being a Lane. Uh, Lana Lang? Lang, yes. Yeah, Thank you. The, the reason I knew about Lana was because I would watch the Superman animated series like so when uh smallville came out and it's like wait yeah lana of course because uh, obviously like that's his love interest when he was younger we who doesn't oh right people who didn't watch the animated series don't know this. that's funny yeah it's fun that's i know most of my comic book knowledge because of animated series like spider-man oh nice uh, the x-men uh superman obviously Batman I mean, with with the whole '90s, not not to s- take away from entertainment now, but like in the '90s, what they would try to do is try to make their films as adulty as possible, and then when the 2000s, it's like strictly kids, strictly adult, and you wouldn't have that type of high quality middle audience show. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm liking where Deadpool is shaking that up. Oh, well, snap. I really like that he's Marvel, and I really like that he goes darker than a lot of the DC stuff. Matter of fact, I love the line in Deadpool 2. Oh, so angry. Are you sure you're not from the DC universe? (laughs) (laughs) It's just a great moment where you realize, oh, this is not your your typical Marvel movie. Uh This is not. Uh, let's go with Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. Oh, Tobey Maguire was a great Peter Parker. Yeah. And you were, you were happy to watch Spider-Man in action, but honestly, pretty much everyone's a better Spider-Man. I, mm, if he didn't have natural web, I think I, you know, it's, it's a little detail that I get really hung up on, but it I, I do so like the natural web be, because then, then it 
then he doesn't have to rely on a gadget that he invents that he keeps inventing. Right. You know? But the gadget that he invents, what it is, and the tensile strength and everything that it can pull off shows off just how technically savvy he is. Right? Oh, snap. Oh, yeah. So with Peter Parker's or with uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, you lose that element. Mm. I never felt like Peter was smart. I I, I actually disagree. I think it's more <laughs> that he's spending so much time being Spider-Man that he doesn't pay attention to his studies. Sure. I, well, let me rephrase it then. I don't feel like he's academically accomplished. Oh, no. Whereas Peter Parker, that I knew from the animated series, was... And then also it takes away from one of the biggest benefits that he got when he got the black suit. Um, he got natural web when he got the black suit. Oh, nice. Which solved so many of his plot device problems from the, uh. from the comic book series. Because, you know, at any given moment, the writer just says, and Peter runs out of web and he has to solve that problem. Uh, that's funny. So once he had natural web, like, all those plot devices dis disappeared. Uh, so I, I feel like that one little thing for me is what made him the weaker Spider-Man of all the Spider-Man that we've seen. I will say the one in the 80s was kind of rough. So he might not be the worst. I mean, Japanese Spider-Man is the coolest thing because you're like, this is not what's spider-man doing with a chainsaw like it's so wrong that you just have to keep watching you know yeah what's up with the uh the samurai batman anime have you seen this no but i've heard of it the artwork looks incredible uh apparently it's awful as a as a production apparently i mean but it looked great Here's the thing is as soon as you put in superpowers, you've missed the point of the character. Yeah. So it's like, I'm a ninja who can morph into butterflies. It's like, Batman has no powers. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see the, um, that's, we should probably bring it back, but there is an, there is a Batman versus, uh, yeah, it's Batman versus Darth Vader YouTube video. If you oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing is I, I always feel like the, the trouble with Kevin Porter is he's just so good at Batman that when you watch a live-action Batman, you're like, oh, man, they should just cast him as the Batman, you know? Yeah, uh, they really should have. Because uh, the thing is he has the face and he has the voice. It's like... He looks like Batman and he sounds like Conroy, which is Batman. <laughs> yeah. It's what you want for your Batman. There's yeah. So it's, you know. I, I was very surprised at the call on Pattinson. Here's my th thing about Pattinson. I never worried about him being a bad Batman ever. Mm -hmm. But I think Bruce Wayne is one, something actually. that it's almost what i said he's already been one he was a vampire <laughs> oh snap uh, like bruce wayne is something that you have to play two roles at the same time you know so it's i think i think it's a challenge for even good actors um like keaton like i think keaton's a great actor but i don't think he 
he's he's the Batman you would expect to be fighting crime at night. You know, he's you don't say, oh man, that Bruce Wayne, he's a he's a normal one of us, you know? Yeah. Normal billionaire. <laughs> so Keaton, it's weird because I I saw him as Batman. Let's let's do a Bruce Wayne's and then we'll do a Batman's. Okay. Um so Keaton, starting off, it's the most chill that I've ever seen Keaton in any role. So it threw me because it was the first thing I had seen him in. And then I go see him in other things and I'm looking, I'm expecting the Bruce Wayne that I got to know in Batman in other things and maybe stretching from that. But what he had done is he had actually stretched to be that cool and calm. <laughs> which was a surprise but so pros and cons to keaton's bruce wayne oh cons with his bruce wayne is that he's just too he's just too strange you don't say man that's a normal bruce wayne gotcha so that doesn't fit into the the recluse like mysterious uh bruce wayne persona for you um no because i think of bruce wayne as someone who doesn't give a crap like he doesn't give a crap on on what happens so the the ironic thing is i think bruce wayne is really close to how people picture ben affleck being just this partying partying rich guy who doesn't care about anybody and that's his image which is why I think Affleck was an okay Bruce Wayne because he was just playing a role that was really close to him. So yeah. Okay. So that, so now um, Clooney. Oh, well, we can't skip Val though. Oh, I'll snap. I think Val is a great Bruce Wayne. Oh, Val, Val would be the best Batman if he had the best Batman suit. I believe that because he has the voice he had the pose, but what he didn't have is a suit that looked serious. Agreed, yeah. Well, and we were still experimenting with the Schumacher, and I still say it's a take. It's the throwback to the Adam West Batman because it was so close. Like, one of the things that my mom did not like about the Keaton Batman movies was they were too dark. She didn't feel like she could watch it and have fun she grew up with Adam West as Batman. Like if you had had a more serious Adam West Batman, she probably could have gone for that, but the leap was just so big to her. But then she loves Batman forever because it kind of finds that middle ground and does end up being a dark Adam West. Not, not as bad as Batman or Batman and Robin though. So yeah, so Val's stuck in this world where not only is he his costume not going to make you take him seriously is yep his world Batman. it's neon the it's world is yes playstation graphics those 490s computers trying to render a full on world you know there's probably smoke in that room like of the computer processors yeah. Yeah. yeah but so with him we get a terrible two face oh man uh, don't wait, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna derail. Wait, let's stick with the Bruce Wayne. Sorry. <laughs> let's stick with the Bruce Wayne's. The Tommy Lee Jones being miffed that he wasn't the Joker. That <laughs> we're, we just won't go there yet. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so 
Val Kilmer, possibly the best all-rounder so far. Val Kilmer. I think he beats Keaton. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's weird because I, I, I prefer my – this is going to lose me fans, but I prefer Ben Affleck's performance as Batman, but Christian Bale's is so much better written so that I'm putting – Bale at the front, not because I think he's as sinister sounding as Val Kilmer or as big and scary as um, Affleck, but because he has the best script. You, mm. you have a character who's fleshed out and three-dimensional. Live action, though. We're not counting Conroy because Conroy would shoot Conroy up. beats everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll get we'll, we'll end on Conroy, that's for sure. Because he does. He kills it. There's yeah. a couple of other guys that did some good work in the animated spinoffs and whatnot, but Conroy is it. Yeah. I think Bruce Wick, Greenwood needs a shout-out because if you're not going to get Conroy, he's a good – he's a good – Conroy was out this day. He's serviceable as 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 Batman. He's not too much of a drop, but everyone else makes you say, "Man, can't you get Conroy?" You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of like with the Jokers too. But there were some great, uh, great Jokers in the video game series for voice, and they. Oh, Troy Baker. He, yes. he voiced Batman too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet yeah. he could. Can yeah, have a conversation with himself. Right. Yeah, he's great. Um, Andrea Romano, uh, oh, director yeah. of Mask of the Phantasm and uh, director for the series. and Voice, voice director, yeah. She is, she is the voice director of the industry as far as I've seen. Um, she was talking about how each, each Joker should be their own. Each voice actor who brings the Joker to life they should have a unique element to their Joker that you want. So oh, yeah. she said, the way she put it once was, uh, if you want the Mark Hamill Joker, just get Mark Hamill. Oh and yeah. Get another guy and then expect the Mark Hamill Joker. If you're going to get somebody else, you're looking for another Joker, a different take on the Joker. And I, I like that concept of not pigeonholing somebody, an actor to another actor's performance. Oh yeah. Yeah, so we got Keaton, we got Val, we've touched on Conroy, but we're going into Clooney land. Oh, Clooney, but the thing about Clooney is, is he's Adam and West, but in our generation, he's, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, man, I, I don't know, because the thing is, He's not trying to take the role seriously, but he makes it more watchable because it's so over the top. It's like, it's not, I'm Batman. It's more like, hey, (laughs) you know. I thought you hadn't seen this one yet. I try, I try. Get get a twist. So I think he might be the best Bruce Wayne. Mm, Wow, I should see that one. (laughs) um for live action now uh, the problem is he's not batman at all Uh and bruce wayne should have 
a hint of Batman about him in the air of his performance. You know, when he's... Yeah, a vague hint, yeah. yeah. I think Keaton had the best Batman moment in returns where he's looking at the bat signal. And that, I think, is the best moment of the character in live action where he's just not himself unless the bat signal's on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, that's a great insight into that character. That's awesome. Um, so Clooney, solid Bruce Wayne, not a Batman at all. And what... What makes him a great Bruce Wayne and maybe the best is that Clooney carries with him an air of mystery. Oh, wow. The problem is it's nonspecific. Oh, whoa. So, like, Clooney's just got that, got that, um, oh, who am I thinking of? Not Gregory Peck. Um, he's just got the swagger, the, uh, the Cary Grant swagger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Cary Grant, apparently, in all the stuff that I've looked into on him, the best role he ever played was being the public version of Cary Grant. Well, that's funny. He, he always had that mysterious presence, right? So uh, the reason I mentioned that is Clooney has that. If you watch and you don't know that Clooney has that naturally, you'll say, oh, that's the Batman uh, element that we were talking about a minute ago where Bruce Wayne, when he's being Bruce Wayne, there should be that little shadow yeah, of Batman definitely. somewhere. But it's just Clooney. So... <laughs> Put him the, in the middle! Great great casting choice. I'll say that because he's got that, that mysteriousness to him. But Purple. Purple man. Alright, so this brings us to Bale. Script? How good as a Bruce Wayne? Leaving Batman out. Oh, leaving that. I would say Bruce he's Wayne. a good eight out of ten Bruce Wayne, because I I feel like Conroy's just raining on every Batman's per- parade. Just, but you know, forget about Conroy. Conroy, <laughs> <laughs> um, Conroy is like, hey, I'm Bruce Wayne. He doesn't want it's his, his voice is like the opposite of Batman. So, yeah, I guess that's the standard. If Conroy's a 10, Bale's a solid 8. Okay. And I think if he just had a little hint of Keaton, he'd bring it to a 9 in his wane. So I liked that in Batman Begins, we don't see Batman for two-thirds of the movie. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It's like halfway. It's the most fleshed out we got to see a live-action Bruce Wayne, in my mind. Um. I don't know. Am I messing that up? I'm not. No, no. But that's that goes back to scripting, you know. Yeah, that's true. Have it, you know. Hitchcock once said that there's three things you need to make a good movie with: the script, the script, the script. You know, and so I think the thing is, we could just go on the rabbit trail of saying every movie that isn't Iron Man or Mad Max Four has a good script. You know. Um, Well, let's look at this then. Every single Batman movie has a a party scene like a a gala oh man <laughs> so we can use that as a frame of reference oh snap keaton, keaton in a gala scene doesn't keaton would want to leave though <laughs> keaton yeah. would want to leave uh bale would join the party kilmer would just be pensive and i don't i haven't seen clooney no 
<laughs> Steve Clooney, give yeah. Clooney a chance. <laughs> uh, I, when I heard that Bale was cast, I had I was coming off of Equilibrium. Oh, but he was excellent in Equilibrium. He was, so I knew he was going to be everything I wanted my Bruce Wayne and Batman to be. I, I just instantly knew. I was like, yep, we're good. We're set. At this point, it's just a question of writing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I was glad I was not. I'm... If eight of 10, no, it's got to be closer than that. It's got to be closer. I don't know. Uh, so he carries in the party scenes that Playboy persona, which I thought was a good fit for Bruce. I mean, as Batman, go, going down to the Batman, Kilmer, the suit holds him back. So I'd give Kilmer a six, not because he's bad Batman, but because the suit just sucks the life out of his performance. Right, but we're focusing on the Bruce Wayne half. Oh, now, right? the Bruce Wayne. The thing is, he's, he's, Kilmer's okay as Bruce Wayne. He's not bad. He's not great. He's... He's milk toast, so I'd give him a five because he's not ruining the movie, but he's not making it better. You're just waiting for Batman to appear so he can sound deep again. <laughs> yeah, I would say that Bale, Bale makes me interested in Bruce Wayne. Like, I want more Bruce Wayne on the screen, right? Oh, yeah. That, that's a really good point. So, Batfleck. I have not seen Ben Affleck, so you're gonna have to. Oh, okay. You're gonna have to tell. Basically, me is Bruce. Ben Affleck as Bruce is really good, but because Bruce Wayne is very close to a real life Ben Affleck, I think it's been kind of underrated. But as Batman, it's like you gave Michael Keaton a, a suit that works and a robot voice and so while Affleck doesn't have as good of a speaking voice as Keaton he moves a lot better so he's basically like Keaton if Keaton was around allowed to move around his suit so I would say as a Batman oh man killing Dachshund so I would say he's a seven but you know performance wise I'd actually give him a nine like because if you were to see Batfleck in the street, you would say, oh, I'm out, you know? And... Is it his, his, the way he carries himself or just his sheer size? What are, you, what are you referring to there when you say you see him on the street and you're just out? Yeah, I think it's the way Affleck's demeanor is less of a... Uh, of a I'll talk to you, you know, with Conroy, which is part of why he's so great is you could talk to Conroy if he's in a good mood, but with Keaton, you're like, you're just with Keaton and Affleck, you're just hoping he doesn't kill you, you know? So, so I think he has the flaws of Keaton, but what he doesn't have is he doesn't have the cinematography advantage that, Burton has with the all black 
thing. So I would say he has better movement, but less of a presence than Keaton. Um, All right. Conroy. Oh, no, 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 no. We've, we've talked about it a 10-10. <laughs> what makes it 10-10? What makes a 10 10 10? Yeah, let's see. Okay. Rain, I hope. 10. Okay. I'm going to try. No, you are not my father. I am not a disgrace. I am vengeance. I am the night. I am Batman. Sorry. It's the Sorry, dynamics. Man. No, no, no. I get it. I think I, th- I think I see what you're going for there. I'm not. It's it can come. It can be subtle. It can be low, and then it can be, yeah, angry and deep and and piercing, right? Yeah. Sorry for okay. piercing your ears. No, 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 no. I meant in my soul, not my ears. <laughs> okay. <but> hopefully, <laughs> we are gonna go ahead and normalize this. <laughs> Normalize it in post. (laughs) Yeah, it'll it'll get compressed a bit. Um, Oh, but he, you know, he he auditioned using this voice that he had come up with for Batman, and he couldn't speak for like a week after. Oh wow! And then he got the role, and he's Uh like, in one of his interviews, he goes. Uh, yeah, I had to go home and figure out how to do the same voice without That's funny. destroying everything because it was it, like vocal cords were going to start bleeding kind of thing, mm-hmm. which I've seen. Uh, if you haven't seen a, a um, I'm going to totally blank on it. It's the movie that helped inspire me get in, to get into voice acting at all. Um, I know that voice. Uh, oh, man, I should see it. Yes, you should see that. That is a it's great stuff uh, from um, anyway, I'm not even going to butcher names because apparently I can't remember any names right now, but the guy that plays uh, Bender on Futurama, oh, wow. uh, he's the one that ends up putting it together. Joe, Joe DiMaggio. John, John. John DiMaggio. Yes. <laughs> not the baseball John guy. Confused. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he he put it together. It's his little um way to bring some focus on the people he works with so uh hank azaria shows up uh what's his name the voice uh um yakko shows up guy that voiced wacko shows Mm -hmm. up that dude's hilarious um yeah it's great stuff great stuff and they talk about you know coming home and they're they have to go on vocal rest because the voice that they were doing for a video game just destroyed. Like they were having to spit blood kind of thing. Oh, it was over. Jim. It's like, Holy cow. You guys are dedicated. Uh, so one thing we haven't talked about, the killing joke has Barbara Gordon. Uh, well, the thing is it's that they added material to it. Oh so. yeah. So it's an extended version. I haven't read the comics, so I have no frame of reference. I can't remember, though, if she... So Tara Strong voices Barbara. All right. In, in the movie, or in The Killing Joke. But I can't remember, did she voice Batgirl in... 
the animated series too? I don't think so because she's in her thirty, the late thirties now, so she would probably be too young. Oh, that's true. I mean, she got early nineties. Um, Ninety. I think she was working at fourteen. Oh, so that could be the right age. But I don't think she would have been doing Warner Brothers stuff just yet. Yeah, that'd be. I have to look that up. Weird, weird chronology. Yeah, it's, there's some great female voices that come through though. Like she was. Oh well, she she does she a lot of things Quinn. like bubbles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so talking about earlier, you were saying that uh, Dana Delaney plays Lois Lane, uh, and, but is also Andrea Beaumont in Mask of the Phantasm. I've got two little girls. We watch a lot of My Little Pony. Oh, that's funny. And Tara Strong is uh, Twilight Sparkle. Oh. So it was really weird watching The Killing Joke and how serious and dark that, that movie gets, listening to Twilight Sparkle. Oh, that's funny. It was really weird. Oh, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, oh but... T- t- just so I don't trigger Dark Knight fans. It's like saying Dark Knight isn't perfect and isn't saying Heath Ledger wasn't perfect in his role. No, he was really I, in the role, but he's not I, Mark Hamill. Oh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Mark Hamill, he just nails the Joker. I mean, he is, but he's got the, the, the material. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, I, I just... You know, that is a good point, though. Like, Mark Hamill's Joker is just a better Joker. I mean, but the thing is, I think he's better at... He's a better Joker in his video games and his movie specials than he is in his the actual series because he wasn't allowed to kill in the series much. And so, so it's kind of joker light. you know? It's like, well, Batty, I'm going to rob a bank again. <laughs> you know, and it's, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's weird because it's like, if you could just tell movie directors, Batman doesn't kill and Joker doesn't know how to not kill, you know, you, you'd have that nice kind of mix there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but Dark Knight, you, like you were saying, it's a fantastic film. Yeah. Even if you didn't have the entire comic book series and history to go with it, I think it's a great standalone. Oh, it's absolute. Movie. You don't have to watch Begins to watch it. You can just plunge in. Mm-hmm. You should watch Begins because I like the character development of Bruce. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's great. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's hard to pick anything about that movie to not like. Oh, uh, to me, it's it's the dent dent fall because it it's I always forget he's in it no oh wow isn't that bad that is bad i mean it's i don't like that two-face at all i didn't like that two-face at all well it's it's the arc it's not the exactly. it's not the performance the performance amazing is amazing but the arc is just it's kind of like i have this theme you must follow this thing no I don't want to follow this theme. I want to be three-dimensional, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I have this theme. You must follow this. It's like, okay, Joker's like, chaos is fair. You must be chaotic. And it's like, why does he listen to Joker if Joker destroyed everything he cared about? Right. Well, what? I mean, he's 
been traumatized, there's no telling what he's got going through his head. Yeah. I'll say though, yeah, the so that push was hard to believe. Yeah. Um the thing for me that I've caught on re-watching is Dent is only the white knight because everybody kept pushing him to be that. He keeps trying to give little hints that he's not that guy. Oh, that's good. And so in some ways his break wasn't so much losing everything. It was the break that you have when you strive to be this idol that people are telling you you are and you just don't believe it inside. You know, it's not genuine. So he kind of crumbles at that level too, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. I just think that the trouble is, I think if you added 15 minutes to the movie, it would just make the progression feel that much more yes, natural. Completely agree. I think he was supposed to be just a surprise villain. That was part of why we don't. Which is that. weird because Dark Knight Rises, if you cut, cut down 15 minutes, you would probably end up with a better movie. Oh. I don't know. I rewatched it recently. I still haven't figured out why that movie doesn't work for me. I think what, why it doesn't work, in my opinion, I think it's a good movie, though. So it's I'm playing both hands. Um, but the reason why I think it doesn't work is because when Batman returns to Gotham, you're you're supposed to invest in all these characters that you haven't seen much throughout the whole movie. So then you're like, wait, why do I care about the city fighting each other? <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I did like some of the theme. I like, I mean, so here's what Nolan does really well. He could probably do a really bad movie that I'd like because he understands themes. Oh, he, he does. He absolutely does. Yeah, well, and deep themes, like pulling from old stories. like Oh, all the myths, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's kind of, in some ways, um, this will offend people, but I think in some ways he's kind of a better George Lucas. Like, yes. yeah, like oh, yeah. He, you have the hero's journey, the, the kind of the myth of the hero and, mm-hmm. and kind of what, how celebrity culture affects that and that kind of thing. And I think, I think if you can complain about Nolan, it shouldn't be on his thematic materials. Yeah, if you're not into that kind of thing, then you could totally tear it up. I'll, but the thing is, eventually you're going to come back to those anyway. All the best stories have that. I, I think best stories have themes, but they also have characters that affect those themes to happen. Yeah. Which, what? Yes, yeah. So it's complicated because the thing is, um, The Great Escape, La Grande Illusion, A Man Escaped, all is, are about prisoners trying to escape. And they're all great movies, but they go in different directions mm-hmm. because the character arcs are more, um, are more individual and corporal and affected in different ways. So we were talking about themes. There's character themes that he does really well. Oh, yeah. Um, Character. Well, they're more interactions because that's where he messes up. I think you're on the right track there is he betrays a theme of a character to facilitate a meta theme 
Oh yeah, it absolutely. Always, yeah, it doesn't always work for that character. But little things like Bane coming from underground, that's you know, that's that's referencing coming from the depths, right? And then taking the tools that Bruce has forged and using them against him. I mean that's that's an old that's an old myth. I mean it's just an old deep story. It's kind of that Beowulf, Beowulf kind of thing. Mm -hmm. but nice. the thing is it's again i don't i think it's it's the the mechanics of timing that make the third act of dark knight rises not work is because you have all these things happening but you aren't given a reason to invest in the characters um yeah. who aren't the orphans you you see them but you don't see the city as a whole and like just a quick shot of characters watching their TVs I think would sell the emotion mm -hmm. um, there were there were plot holes that were massive oh, but... that <laughs> that really bothered me the why Lucius wouldn't just flood the chamber instead of cooperating for the the nuke reactor uh, I just see him activating it the the flood chambers instead. I mean, the the here's the thing about plot holes. This could be its own essay, but I would say if you notice a plot hole, odds are 99% of the time you should fill it, and the other time you should have a good reason for not filling it. Mm -hmm. For example, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where um, – Indiana Jones arrives on the island before the Nazis do. Like, there's no logical way to happen, but it makes more dramatic sense for the character to be there, you know? And sometimes you have to play into that drama. But 99% of the time, it's just filling the bottle, fill it in, yeah. you know? Well, it's like they even nod to that in Emperor's New Groove when, uh, <laughs> when Yzma and Kronk show up blocking the path for uh uh Cusco and Pacha <laughs> and, and like I, I think it's Cusco has the set line where he says uh how did you guys beat us here <laughs> and Kronk pulls out the map and he he looks at the map and the way they went he's like yeah I, I uh hey you're right it doesn't make any sense we should oh, be wow. way back here <laughs> it's just hilarious <laughs> like, yeah well you know plot device who cares yeah go with it yeah, well, it's comedy. There's more flexibility. I, yeah. I, that is the realm of, that is the thing about comedy that makes it good. That's why Deadpool works with him mm -hmm. breaking fourth wall and messing around is because at the end of the day, it's going to be funny. Uh, but let, right. let's see, let's, so let's finish out this show because it's like, it's good, but the trouble is you, you can have a six hour long zoom call and you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've covered the Bruces. The Bruces, yeah. We covered the Batman. Do we want to go in? Do we want to compare the Jokers? Oh man, well, let's do it. Okay. We'll we'll get backlash. Let's so, do it anyway. Let's start. Oh, oh, we skipped Adam West as Bruce Wayne, by the way, and that's oh, but Adam a, West was a, a great Bruce disservice. Wayne. I'm yeah. I'm putting him ahead of Kilmer and behind Bale. I'm gonna go with that. Yep. Well, no, I actually, I'm going to put him at the same level as Bale. 
Oh, wow. Just because at the time in the 60s, you had the whole James Bond thing kicking off. And he was kind of an American James Bond. <laughs> and I liked that. I liked that Bruce Wayne. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Uh, all right. So on to Jokers. And we're going to start in the right spot. And this is what made me think of it. Cesar Romero. I don't remember him, unfortunately. It's okay. the 60s. Uh, I wish I, I could, but I, I missed those episodes. He's but apparently he, he had the mustache, so yes. that, that should boost him to a two, <laughs> he had no the matter mustache, what. Uh, and refused to shave it for the role. That was, <laughs> that was the trick there. It was so, quite funny because he was famous for his mustache. That's funny. Um, all right. So he's, he plays wacky. He plays funny. Uh, and he's got the cheesy element that I like about Hamill's Joker. I, I feel like Hamill's Joker has a bunch of different Joker personalities kind of rolled into one ensemble. Oh, yeah. Um, so he's, he's the wacky fun guy. But he's also messed up. You know, Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. That's like a different yeah, layer. I'm so it, talking about Caesar Romero, though. Oh man. Yeah, sticking with Caesar. So he's the wacky fun Joker that I like about. Jack Hamlet. Nicholson is is more kind of the safe Joker. You you aren't. He's not a bad choice to play the Joker, but he just didn't seem to go deep in his role like he did other roles. You know. It's like, oh, we got Jack Nicholson, and he's having fun, but it's it, you know what you're gonna get the whole way through, you know? Yeah, there's nothing unpredictable about about his yeah. at all. So it? I would say he's a six, and, and I say this with with regret in my voice because he's fun to watch, but he's not compelling. Well, he's a good anti Romero, right? So he he went from he's. He's trying to flip it and make it more serious. So you want oh, yeah, to heal uh, just solid. I mean, really, he's just a mobster with face paint. Oh, yeah, okay. but it's it's the, the perma-white thing. Yeah, so he was a mobster with perma-white. Yeah. Uh, and that's how he played it. And I thought that was a – it's a good choice. Coming but it's conventional. The Joker was, but like you said, it's conventional, it's basic. Uh, from an art artistic perspective, there's people up in arms right now saying, "But he was the first live action serious Joker." It's like, yeah, yeah, yes. Take the Joker label off of it and just make him what the villain of the Joker is, and I, he'd be I he'd be pretty much him. the same anyway. It wouldn't yeah. change much. You no. you could have him not wear the, and and I think that's where eighty nine is really good is when Bruce Wayne just kind of cracks the base and he goes nuts because you have... <laughs> Such a great line. Because <laughs> you, you see, you know, Jack Nicholson not break a sweat. And this, and I think that's a good image, you know, to have this character not intimidated by this guy just going postal. Yeah. And... Yeah, that that if the rest of the performance were up to that level of control, mm -hmm. it's just. I think the trouble is the 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 role is just too safe. 
like, and that's a harsh thing to say about a groundbreaking superhero film. But it was, it was, it was a very safe, like I say, you could make, you could take the Joker label off of his character and just make him a mobster and it still fits. It's exactly the same movie. Um, so, so let's see. That takes us to. Let's see Let what. Me. I think the 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 Joker in the Batman TV show was interesting, but I didn't really like him in the early two thousands. I just think his voice sounded a little too masculine to be the Joker, which is a weird thing to say. This is an interesting observation. Yeah. Tell me yeah. Um, I think um, Tim Curry is the best Joker we've never had. <laughs> Tim Curry is the best everything. Oh, snap. <laughs> he's, only, he's only got so much schedule. <laughs> he can only do so many roles at one time. Yeah. <laughs> He's still my favorite Long John Silver. Oh, mine too. Uh, I think the the thing is with with Long John Silver, you want a character who can be roguish, but also someone you would want to be Jim Hawkins' friend. Yep. So I think... Played it well. Yeah. Um, so Hamill definitely has everything, I think. But like you were talking about, it was a little too masculine. I think he softened that up though as he No, came. I was talking about the the one in the the um the 2000 TV show that came after Hamill. Oh, yeah. Mhm. Mm yeah, yeah. a little too gruff. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it was it had a gravel to it that you expect from Batman. Yeah. From the Joker, yeah. Who was that? Roy Baker is good, but it's also a, a Hamill clone, you know. Yeah. So it, it, it's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hamill's got it all is the problem. So if, if at any point you have a, an element of the Joker's character right, it's going to look like you're just copying Hamill's take on that part of the Joker. Which is why I think Ledger is a really good real-world Joker. Yes. I would, I would say Ledger's as good of a Joker that can exist in our world. Yeah. And I'd give Ledger a nine, <laughs> a nine out of 10. Yeah. Cause but, I mean, what are you going to do? Beat Mark Hamill? <laughs> Don't think so. Okay. So we did that penguin. Oh man. Penguins. Penguins weird because Burton just burdened him. Like, yep. yeah. So the thing is any respectable version is just going to seem like a old man who, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's like you're you're having to choose between one degree and one that's another in another area where it's like completely removed from the Batman universe. I, I don't know. I'm not gonna talk about Penguin. <laughs> I like the Burgess Meredith. I actually really think that's the best portrayal I've seen, except um in the the bad man. YouTube series, uh, Patton Oswalt guested as Penguin, and it was fantastic. So I would like to see that in a an actual film at some point. All right, Riddler. Uh, the thing about Riddler is, I think 
it always goes back to the animated series characters. Yeah, like they're just the best characters out there. So I would say whoever did him in the animated series, because he's like obnoxious, but also kind of a hurt puppy. And I think that duality is the Riddler in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. I liked Carrie, uh, but Carrie did feel like he was just copying, um, I forget his name, in the Adam West series. Um, he just turned it up a little bit to 11 and added some of uh, his inappropriate gestures that are classic Jim Carrey. Uh, oh, well, the Jim Carrey was Jim Carrey was Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep, pretty much. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's like he was carrying Tommy Lee Jones because Tommy Lee Jones was trying to upstage Jim Carrey and he's not watchable. It's like a person stepping over their own foot. It, it's, it's like you can't watch it from a good movie perspective. Like, <laughs> No, agreed. It's it's like just watch. If you're watching it, you're watching it to see Jim Carrey be Jim Carrey. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, so we we've had a Mister Freeze in the animated series. Do we even want to bother? No, because that Arnold Mr. Schwarzenegger Arnold. had heart um, heart problems during the filming of it so it's not a fair it's not schwarzenegger at his prime you know right yeah so i think i think we should gloss over mr freeze because it's it's a different it's it'd be like comparing um oh man it'd be like complaining about john wayne right after he had his heart problems in the late 60s you're like yeah. you're just happy he's, he's there you know i don't think there's any point in comparing them in that the writing is just terrible for mr freeze and batman and robin it's it's hideous it's awful the one <laughs> ice age man yeah yeah so we're just gonna ice skate right past this one. Oh yeah and let's go to cat one oh man the thing is here's the thing is I think Catwoman is someone characters overthink, you know, because with, with Anne Hathaway, she's just too wistful and soulful, I think, to be someone who's that devil may care character. And um, with Michelle Pfeiffer, she's just a little too weird, you know, weird and psychotic. So I guess I'm actually voting for, Animated. Eartha Kitt as Catwoman because Eartha she has Kitt. that nice husky voice and yeah. Okay. Confident and not not fearful of <laughs> who she is or turning into. Like you with Catwoman, you kind of want someone without without fear, really. That's true. And she did bring that to the character, I think. All right. Alfred. Oh man, I really like Michael Go. I really like Michael Go, but I think Michael Caine is is really good. But Ephraim Ephraim Zimbala, I can't pronounce his name. The one from the animated series, I think, is really close to Kane. But I think Kane just has that 
gravitas of being nice and being serious, serious and nice. Yeah, we've kind of over the years introduced the element that Alfred may have been a badass at some point. Oh, that's not you surprising know? at all. And right, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't throw you off. No. It, it makes sense for the character. Uh, we didn't have that with the animated series. And we definitely didn't have that for the Adam West. What was amazing about him was how capable he was in the Adam West series. Like, you need him to fly the Batcopter and rescue you? Oh, yeah, he's there. Uh, you need him to do this? He's there. He's there. You need him to pretend to be Batman. Uh, right? He would do it all. And you never really questioned why. Uh, Michael Caine, with his, his filmography, you kind of think that he would be fighting people in Burma, right? Uh, yeah. For instance, Dark Knight. Um, yeah, I just think it's a good old father character. I think it's it's great. It was he's once BA and now he uses all of that faculty to be a dad. I, I think it's a good con concept. It's hard to beat Michael Caine. Yep. I do like Michael Go though. I liked the more prim and proper. Yeah, he seem, Go seems like the kind of guy who would be your butler. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, why is Michael Caine the butler? Why family, is he, why family he friend. just a Wayne? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we cover those. Batgirl, I don't think there's a real need to cover that. I it's it's funny, but I really like Burt Ward as Robin. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I I'm like the thing is, I feel like everyone who's tried to be be Robin just hasn't had that sense of fun, <laughs> you know. So you just, I guess I keep going back to Burt Ward. So who's the best live action Batman? I, I guess we, we we talked it, but we didn't quite get to a conclusion. I'm going to yeah. offend everybody, but I'm going to say Adam West is the best live-action Batman. What? <laughs> I did not expect that. Yeah. <laughs> Batman only or Batman encompassing Bruce Wayne too? Bat Batman in live-action. If I'm adding animation, it just... Conroy just demolishes the competition. Like, oh man, yeah, there's no question. But I did not see, did not see Adam West. But I'm totally blown away <laughs> because for me, it's Bale. I have to say it's Bale. Uh, He's got the best writing. He does, but to your point, it could just be the writing. <laughs> I, yeah yeah i i think he has the bruce wayne look he he does I think he, he had that pretty solid he carried himself and i think he he could have been batman if he just channeled his equ inner equilibrium yeah it was the voice that mm -hmm. for me throws it off yeah because he just put too much energy into it you know Which, i mean i get that one of the problems with all of the previous Batman, other than 
Conroy is the voice is almost the same voice, just whispered. Yep. And he did actually try to dynamically change his voice in a huge way to where they looked like two different. I like it at parts of Begins. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and was, I think um, it just got rougher the more the series wore on. Yeah, it's Dark Knight. Last on Trigger! Yeah, I didn't get that for for Dark Knight and for Dark Knight Rises. It was like it went to 11. Yeah. For Begins, and it's probably why it might, it might be my favorite one of the Nolan movies. Um, it was there, but you didn't think about it. Oh, no, it, it was actually natural. It felt like an extension of his emotions. Yeah. And yeah. not something he's putting on. But maybe that was the idea is that he was intensifying his dissonance in, his, in himself until it finally, he could be one person in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So next time I talk to Christian Bale, I'll ask him. Uh, be like, what were you thinking there? All right. <laughs> so... We've covered Jokers. We've covered. All right. Here's one I want. Oh. What Batman villain that has not been brought to the screen yet would you like to see brought to the screen? Oh, Hush. Hush is the name of the villain because he'd have that master of disguise thing that could be anyone. And he also has a personal connection to Bruce Wayne. Mm hmm. It's funny. I would have said um, I would have said Clayface for the same reasons, mostly, other than the personal connection. So I like the idea of Clayface. Oh yeah, I like the idea of Clayface. I think it'll just—it's just the execution could be botched so so easily, you know. Yeah, only Nolan could do it, but Nolan wanted his Batman to live in a world that made sense and be somewhat as believable as possible, right? So he wouldn't do a Clayface. No, he wouldn't do a Clayface. He could do a Mad Hatter. Well, Mad Hatter is... Mad Hatter's weird because the thing is the more realistic he gets, the creepier he gets. Exactly. So so I kind of like fantasy Mad Hatter. Okay. Yeah. What about... um, You remember Scarface? Ooh, the Vitrilic is an... Here's the thing about Scarface. I think... Um, I think the thing is they, it would be a great character, but the trouble is it's just too out there because it's, it's weirder than the Joker and yeah. And Joker's pretty weird. So you don't, you don't go much farther than that. Yeah. I think it would be, that's a good point. It's, and it's not just weird. It's actually a better character than what you typically get with Batman. So all of the other characters would have to get amplified in how complex they are, you know? Just I mean, that's true of comics because comics, comics have the time span to flesh out characters. Yeah. You know? All right. Who are we missing? Who would be, who would be a good villain? to bring to the silver screen. It's got to be one. Uh, I feel like we've, the Harley Quinn thing has just been a disaster. I mean, I feel like she's a weird character because she's a victim of abuse, but if you take a empowerment fantasy, 
then it romanticizes that abuse. So it's a weird, weird yeah. way. Uh, we didn't even I, talk about Leto's Joker at all. I mean... It just goes to show how we feel about it. I, I think the thing about Joker is you have to have find this line between trying too hard and not trying enough. And Leto just went all method, like... <laughs> and it I didn't it work writing. from what I hear. Yeah. I think it was writing for that for that one too the image i don't think we were ready for that stark difference of an image we didn't talk about uh joaquin phoenix's joker either though i mean but the thing about joaquin phoenix is it's like he has his whole movie devoted to his character development so it'd be joker the anti-hero as opposed to joker the i i don't know i haven't seen it so that's also another uh, yeah, you know. i haven't seen it either um I will say there was something in the killing joke talking about Joker that stood out to me. That was huge for um, all of the origin stories. You know, there's everybody's got their take on where the Joker comes from. And the reason, the reason for that is mentioned in the killing joke. He, he says it, I think during his song about how it's easier to just go insane. Oh yeah. He says something about, it was so it was so bad it was so overwhelming that's why it's always different when he remembers it uh so when we see different takes on the joker's backstory that's actually how the joker remembers it anyway we see that in the dark knight when he says you want to know how i got these scars oh and in different stories it's i thought he was just making them up and just being goofy which he might have been for that, but there's another layer now of maybe he genuinely remembers it that way, and it just changes for him all the time. He has no idea what it what the truth is anymore. That was such a different way to look at that. Yeah, what what I want to see from the Joker is Joker as mere henchman. Like, I think that's the only where way he hasn't been portrayed cinematically. Is it's like you have a outbreak in Arkham and then it's like, oh, he's the Joker's gonna play along now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we got um Scarecrow to like manipulate the Joker, that'd be something. Oh well Scarecrow's I I always thought was a weak villain because oh, yeah. it's like what is he gonna do to a Batman? Is he gonna put scare toxin in his face again? Like yeah. he's a boring Batman villain. He but was I think in the animated series, though. Well, because they they changed his art direction and made him more sinister, you know. Yeah. yeah. I th By the way, Cillian Murphy, great in that role. I thought. Yeah, he he was great when he didn't have his, his mask on. He was scarier mm -hmm. as Cillian Killian Murphy than he was as the um as. The Scarecrow, which I think is goes back to the writing, you know. <laughs> yeah, agreed. So, all right. I, th I think I found what we should end on, though. Favorite Batmobile. Oh, the Burton one. Burton. The original Burton. The oh, yeah, with Burton the car, the rocket. Returns, it splits off, and you get the the bat. What they call it, the the rail. 
where well, you can go to an alley with your returns it kind of gets sabotaged so i don't yeah <laughs> so we're gonna go with that one i, I yeah i understand it um uh, jeff dunham agrees with you on that it's the one he has mm -hmm. uh i have to go with adam west mm. i like that it was actually just a lincoln kind of <laughs> that they they put bat symbols on <laughs> it was yeah it's a legit car uh, and i there's something about the long sleek uh boxy shape to it that i like <laughs> no you know what i take that back there is one i like better maybe i don't know the animated series i really like that one. Oh yeah well they they had a whole <laughs> like painting uh mat shot you know <laughs> to the bat batmobile so that's kind of puts it at a disadvantage in terms of what you see the first thing you see is batman's batmobile and just the whole intro is is a master class on how to do batman because you you see you have this little mini narrative right and mm -hmm. you have the explosion which implies violence that they they're not just playful thugs and so they go on top of the roof and batman's there and he glares at them so it's like this train of action that escalates you know but the pilot is horrible. Have you ever seen the Batman the Animated Series pilot? Yeah, it was so painful. It was bad. It's like, you know, it's, you can see where the love was in there, but not the, the brain. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's like Batman dances around bullets. Like, this is pre-Matrix stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Phantasm, like, I felt like I had to rewatch the series after I saw Phantasm. That was where I was at. It was like, it made me reappreciate the character of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Oh, yeah. So that was cool. Plus, the whole uh, Ghost of Christmas Future look that I definitely mean, had me in. Yeah. The, the trouble is, Phantasm has the best animation in the movie. And so, any character that is taken taking up screen doesn't quite feel as spec because you have the 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 trail of the smoke you have the silver you have the the thin lines it's all very elegant and sleek mm -hmm. so we haven't talked about too uh apparently live action batman beyond with michael keaton oh uh, man that would be is green lit Oh, well, snap. For a series. Oh, oh, man. A series would be better anyway. I think so, too. I'm just, I was really shocked to see that apparently it's a, it's a go. Okay. I don't know who they're going to cast as, uh, as, um, oh, what's his name? Terry. But yeah, if you have, if you've watched Batman movies, you like Batman series, and you haven't watched Batman Beyond, it's a great next step. The the very first episode of that one's still my favorite too. Oh wow! Because you see aged Bruce Wayne played by Kevin Conroy, uh, just hitting his physical limits for age, mm -hmm. and so he has to pass on the mantle of being Batman to somebody, or just quit doing it altogether. Oh and snap! That's, that's so dramatic. 
Right. That's the choice that he has at the beginning. And you, you meet Terry McGinnis, who's just a kid getting into trouble. Oh, that's funny. But it's, you know, it's, we don't have enough mentor stories right now because there's, I guess there's fear of the sexual inference there between a, an older man mentoring a younger male. It's maybe not his father. You know, because they talk about that for Back to the Future. They say there's no way we could do Back to the Future now, now because it would look like a pedophile situation. It's like, no, it's just that's how he, men, that's how boys become men is they get around other men, men. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not seeing that, I don't think, right now. And yeah, because in a, in a way, it's like you're, you're too afraid of saying, what's too close? What's too close? Rather than saying, um, saying be be good to people of all ages and hope that that kind of redirects you know yeah so them green lighting this project if it's legit which i'm pretty sure it is uh it gives me hope for cinema and for tv storytelling or just on-screen story, storytelling in general because maybe we will start getting those stories again. Oh, that'd be good. Because <laughs> I think we see a, a major effect of a, a fatherless generation right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we should start having that conversation. Uh, well, John, it's been fun, as always. Thank you. Um, was there? Did we miss anything? Was there anything that you wanted to cover before we started oh, off this time. What I wanted to say um, is in, in a brief sentence is that I used to think CGI was something that was more stronger than stop motion, but I think it's more adaptable and flexible and stop motion is more control oriented and realistic. And so it's a, a different different kind of feel um but you know it's it's something that it's like if you have a person using stop motion effects there's there's literally going to be four other people around the world doing that you know yeah that is a cool element about it so that's all yes yeah, so, yeah cg it's you started dabbling though right with yeah. modeling what software are you using for that? So if um, anybody's interested in trying to try that out themselves. Uh, Meta Sequoia, it's, it's not cheap, cheap, but it's, it's the nicest in terms of beginner curve. And I use um, an animation software called Cheetah, which is relatively cheap and easy to use. <laughs> is that for the... 3D it's for the Mac, but there there are other programs, Blender, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, I use um, I've used a little bit of Blender for 3D printing. Uh, I'm usually on Fusion 360. Oh, nice for that. But it's, you know, it's not. I don't ever consider it for animation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you did some 2D stuff. Did you have any software for that that was different? Um, I like to use Rough Animator because. It's five dollars, but also, yeah, <laughs> it's it's it has an eraser. It has the 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 timeline with a grid on it. So it's 
it's very good for short animations. Cool. Um, I'm gonna have to try those out. You gonna? Can you send me the links for where I can get those? And oh yeah, I'll send you. Description below. Oh yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. This has been a pleasure. It's good catching up. Oh yeah. Glad COVID hasn't caught you. Oh, I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't too. All right, sir. You take care, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. Thanks. Uh, uh, <laughs> and scene and now I'm sitting here by myself and uh, talking to myself chaos <laughs>